Um, one last kind of announcement, one as a reminder, we will be having our men's Freedom Weekend um, on the first week of March. I believe it's the third and the fourth. It'll be a Friday night into Saturday. You can go home in the middle. You don't have to stay overnight. Um, but it'll just be a moment really for us men to come together, really process through some of the things that we have in our lives and really looking for that freedom um, that comes on the other end. But with that last thing, um, I would like to introduce you, your, our pastor for today's speech and giving a great word of God, Pastor Matt. Well, good morning. Thanks again for joining us today here at Every Nation Church, Las Vegas. Like John said, my name is Matt. I'm the associate pastor here. Thank you for joining us. Really believe that God has something for you. And today we're concluding our series on miracles. We've been talking about the miracles of God and what that reveals to us about God. And I realized this past week while I was praying and preparing for the sermon that whenever God did a miracle and whenever Jesus did something for someone in a supernatural way, it was always in response to a great need. But in the face of that great need, God always brought forth an even greater outcome. And I think that's what God has for us this morning that there is some great outcome that God wants to bring forth in each of our lives. So as we come to him and approach his word in prayer, let's believe that God will do something great. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you're here, that you love us, and that you want to teach us. So Lord, I pray that you would open up our minds and hearts in a way that only you can, so we can see you and understand your word. And Lord, wherever we are regarding our belief in you, I pray that you would build it. Help us to build our belief. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So before I go any further, I really do want to very humbly and sincerely thank those of you who have been praying for me this week. Uh, some of you might be aware, but I went through great personal pain and heartbreak last week, Sunday, when uh, the Philadelphia Eagles <laughs> lost Super Bowl 57. I have been an Eagles fan for the last 20 years, and you think we'd be used to heartbreak by now. We won the Super Bowl five years ago, in case you forgot. But aside from that, it was losing NFC Championship after NFC Championship, and then we get to the Super Bowl, and we lose to Tom Brady. But I'm not used to it. It's still painful. After the game was over, I started to sing Total Eclipse of the Heart. Because every now and then, I fall apart. And I need you, Lord, tonight. The Eagles have a fight song, Fly, Eagles, Fly. I started to remix it. Cry, Eagles, cry. On the way to misery. I'm feeling low, not high. Watch my Eagles cry. Anyway, you know, it was very hopeful at one point because we went into halftime with a 10-point lead. And then we lost it because our 10-point lead was not enough to match Patrick Mahomes on the other side. Ah, it's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. And it served as a very personal reminder to me that things that we don't like or understand happen in this life. They happen all the time. It's a part of life. Some things feel big, but they aren't that consequential. Really, the Eagles losing the Super Bowl only changes my life a little bit. I, I did definitely have an introduction planned if they had won. You have been spared of all the Eagles fans coming up on stage with me and singing the Eagles fight song live. That was definitely going to happen, and now it's not going to. So it feels consequential to me, but it's not. But other things are far more consequential, like struggling financially, 
losing your job, feeling stuck at a different point in your life, struggling mentally, emotionally, physically, or maybe, like John said earlier, someone in your family could be struggling or someone you love. There's really nothing you can do to help. All of these things happen in life, and it's nothing new. This has been a part of the human existence and human experience ever since Adam and Eve sinned and rejected God in the Garden of Eden, and sin and evil entered our world. And we're going to see a situation just like this in our main text today, which comes from John chapter 11. Now, backstory first. Throughout the book of John, Jesus is performing miracles. And John writes the book in such a way that the miracles are directly tied to what it reveals to us about Jesus. So Jesus multiplies the bread and the fish, and it reveals to us that Jesus is the bread of life. And if we partake of him, then we live. And he reveals himself as the wine, which is representative of a new and better covenant. And that first miracle, they said, hey, you brought out the, first, the best wine second. Normally, the best wine comes first, and that reflects the two covenants where the first covenant was based on the blood of animals that was never enough to satisfy the justice of God, whereas Jesus comes into the scene, and his blood is the new wine by which we're able to have a lasting and secure covenant in God. And Jesus heals the blind man to reveal that he is the light of the world. So all of this is happening, and as Jesus is healing these people, he's announcing himself as the Messiah. As the word of God who became flesh. And some people are ecstatic at the news and they leave everything to follow him. And some people are not. Some people aren't happy about Jesus calling himself the Messiah, the Son of God. The Jews understand this. So in John chapter 10, they pick up rocks and they say, we will, we will rock you. And they're getting ready to stone Jesus. Now, this is not how Jesus is supposed to die or the time at which he's supposed to die. So he leaves. They're in Jerusalem. And they go a day's journey away east of the Jordan. It's about 20 miles. And that's a problem because people need Jesus near Jerusalem right about this time. And here's where we pick up in our story today. This is John chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. And, of course, you can always follow along with us in your notes. But here's what it says. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany the village of Mary, and her sister, Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So Jesus leaves Jerusalem. Bethany is next to Jerusalem, probably the closest town. And right when Jesus leaves is exactly when they need him. So Lazarus gets sick, but I imagine that at first they're reacting to this sickness like anybody else reacts to a sickness. So the first thing we think is they're going to be okay. They just need a little bit of rest. Lazarus is going to be fine. It's cool. And then they go about their day and they live their lives and they notice the cough is getting worse and the fever isn't going away. In fact, it's getting a little warmer. And they think, wow, this is a little tough. Let's let him lie down 24-7 until he recovers. And they start doing everything themselves. But then they think, He's still getting worse. And the situation becomes so desperate that Mary and Martha send for Jesus. And when they send for Jesus, this is what happens in verse 6. John eleven six 6 says uh, that they came to him. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, Jesus, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So let's stop and think about that for a second. This is somebody who is a friend of Jesus. Jesus has a lot of followers at this point. He's got a lot of fans at this point. 
But this is a friend of Jesus. And by the way, side note, Jesus is looking for followers and he's looking for friends. He doesn't just need fans. He wants intimacy. He wants relationship with us. He wants friendship. And here is a man who has friendship with Jesus. And in response to hearing that his friend is sick, Jesus says, oh, Lazarus, this guy who I've had dinner with him, we've hung out, we've talked face to face, he's sick, it's really bad, let me get back to you about that. So now, something happens to this family that they don't like or understand, and Jesus responds in a way that they don't like or understand. Because life can be confusing, isn't that true? Things happen that we, we don't get why. We don't understand it. And whether we're comfortable admitting it or not, God can also be confusing. Because God might allow things that we don't like or understand. God may even do something that we don't like or understand. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are his thoughts above our thoughts and his ways above our ways. God lives and acts from the perspective of eternity as a whole, whereas we don't know what's going to happen in the next minute. Of course we can't understand him. And if you're a believer in Jesus, and if you follow God, then you know this. And you believe it, and you understand it to an extent. You might even accept it to a point. But it doesn't mean we have to like it. We don't like it. Am I the only one who's willing to be honest about that? We don't like the fact that these things happen. And because these things happen, we experience disappointment and doubt and pain in this life. And I imagine that's exactly how Martha and Mary and Lazarus felt when they sent a message, a message to Jesus and Jesus did not come. Can you imagine what Lazarus felt? On his deathbed, thinking about his friend Jesus, and he's seen Jesus heal countless people. But Jesus isn't healing him. He knows that Jesus can speak a word from wherever he is, and yet he does not. And I wonder if his last thought is why. And sometimes that's what we think when it comes to our relationship with God. Why? Why? And that's what the disciples thought probably in verses 7 and 8. Uh, we read verse 6. Let's now read the next two. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And you are going there again? So the disciples are justifiably worried about their lives. They just escaped by the skin of their teeth. And now Jesus says, all right, guys, let's go on back. The situation has cooled down. It's not as hot, but it's, it's hot. Not, not as hot as it was. So let's go. And now they're thinking, why are we going back into this hornet's nest? The last thing they saw in Jerusalem was people picking up rocks. We will rock you. Thomas uh, makes a little quip because that's what Thomas does. He says, uh, let's go with him so that we can die with him. And I actually think they deserve partial credit because they went with him. But their responses to the situation reveal their doubt in Jesus. And I'm sure they were disappointed in his decision. Dismayed. How many D words can we find? Disillusioned. Distracted. Anyway, that's all I got. So they go... Now, and they walk the day's journey. 
from east of the Jordan back to Bethany, probably struggling the entire way as they walk 20-ish miles in sandals. And then when they walk into Bethany, Martha hears, and they, she runs to Jesus immediately. That's, that's who Martha is. She's type A. She's a go-getter. She gets things done. So Martha runs up to Jesus, and here's the very first thing Martha says to Jesus. In chapter 11, verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So Martha is experiencing heartbreak and pain and disappointment and doubt all at the same time. Imagine yourself in Jesus' shoes. And Jesus knows what's about to happen. And yet here's a person he also calls friend looking at him and says, you could have done something. And I imagine Jesus felt that pain too. We have feelings because we're made in God's image and God has feelings. So now we just see disappointment and doubt everywhere and isn't that a picture of the world? And in spite of all this, Martha sets, I think, a stunning example for all of us because she feels this disappointment and she's struggling through this doubt and yet she brings it to Jesus and she presents it to him. And I think we need to understand that we can bring our disappointment and doubt and pain to God. And in fact, that's what he wants. We need to be able to do that because we're all going to be there. That is where I was almost a year ago today. In fact, 11 months ago, almost to the day. Because 11 months ago, today, my daughter Astrid was born. And I wasn't here. Backstory. I had been asked to preach at the college conference in our home church or sending church in Hawaii. This is the ministry where I was discipled, where Jerrica and I grew close together. We eventually got married. And we both wanted me to go because in that, we would serve the next generation together. I would go and preach, and Jerrica would stay and take care of our family, along with my mom's help. And we wanted to be able to have that. Now, the complication was Astrid's due date was two or three weeks later. So this is a decision that we fast. Oh, I fasted. Jerrica couldn't fast because she was pregnant. I fasted, and we prayed together, and we prayed that God would bring Astrid on time. It didn't seem like a big prayer. Just bring her when she's supposed to come. Or bring her a little early, or let us see that she's coming early so I can cancel the trip, which it would have let me done at the very last moment. But Thursday came, and I was supposed to leave on Thursday night, and there was no sign that she would come early, so I left. And Friday came, and I went to the conference, and it was a great time. And people were gathering for the first time since the lockdown and pandemic, and people were praising God, and I got a chance to get up and preach and share how God changed my life and met me as a college student. And at the end of that sermon, I'll never forget it, because my friend Russell and I, their college pastor, we had decided that everybody is going to line the front if they wanted to follow Jesus. I'd ask them to come and stand at the altar. And I made it pretty clear, and I made motions and everything, because the thought was, hey, let's ask people to make their faith public and stand up for Jesus. And we thought it might be a step of faith, but it's going to be great and impactful. And then people took it a step further. Because the guy sitting in the front row was so excited about following Jesus and giving his life to him that he went from the front of the altar and jumped onto the stage. And he stood there with me. And now I'm trying to explain, like, hey, bro, what's your name? I'm Matt. It's great to meet you. Now, you don't need to be up here. And as I'm talking to him and trying to explain to him that he could stand in the front, somebody else comes on the stage. 
And now everybody's just coming on the stage. So at this point, it's like, well, we got to roll with it. So everybody comes and they join me on stage and we're linking arms and standing with each other and praying this prayer of salvation where they confess their belief in Jesus. And it's this incredible time as these students are being born again. And at almost the exact same time as these students are being born again, Astrid decided that she wanted to be born. <laughs> so Jerrica's water broke at about 8.30 p.m. Hawaii time and 11.30 p.m. Las Vegas time. And the sermon was over and we left and the staff runs up to me and said, bro, you got to call your wife right now. And as soon as my friend Sean told me that, my heart dropped because I knew what it was. So I called her and I found out things were okay and that Jackie and Casey were on their way to help. And we had to rush to the airport because the flight itineraries or flight availability said there were no flights out for me to get back right in time. Casey's not in her head. She remembers all this. So... <laughs> I get to the airport and I beg and Hawaiian Airlines lets me on the flight and they upgrade me to business class for free. But I don't care because I just wanted to be there in time for my daughter and I'm very selfishly praying and admitting this now and I don't know if Jerrica can hear me. I was praying that God would extend her labor. <laughs> because I wanted to be there. I wanted to be there for the birth of my child and we prayed for this. So I get through security, and I talk to Jerrica, and she's in labor, so she can't talk. So I talk to Jackie, and Jackie tells me that she had already dilated five centimeters. And it was very clear that Ashton was coming that night, and I would miss it. And as soon as I came to that realization, I was heartbroken. I preached from this stage before that I would much rather fail in ministry than fail my family. And I mean it with every fiber of my being. And here I am, thousands of miles away, while my daughter's being born. And I was disappointed in myself. And that's why I haven't shared this story until now. And at the same time, I was disappointed in myself and angry at myself. I was also angry at God. Because we prayed for this. Because we did everything we could to make a good decision. All I prayed was that she'd come on time. Not late, not early, just on time. And instead of bringing her on time, God brought her on the worst possible day, at the worst possible moment for me. I was confused. And I was angry. And I doubted God's goodness toward me. And I also doubt that most people have been in that situation. But I do not doubt that we've all had similar feelings in our own situation and in our own way, we experience this pain and doubt and disappointment, even in God. Yet, the reason for our belief does not depend on the results of life. The reason for our belief depends on the resurrection and the life. This is a title that Jesus used for himself. So Jesus and Martha continue to converse and will break down that conversation in a few minutes, because I, I just love everything they talk about. I think there's a lot to learn there. But first, I want to focus on the turning point in that conversation. John, when he wrote this chapter and when he wrote this story, he actually wrote it to be the turning point of the chapter. And if we understand it, then it can be a turning point in our lives with God, too. Uh, John chapter 11, 
I'll share a little bit of nerdy stuff because I think it really brings it to life when you can see it. John 11, at the beginning of John 12, it's called a chiasm. You don't need to remember the phrase, but it's, it's, it's an intentional literary concept in which different ideas and events are presented in a parallel sequence that matches each other. And in the center of those events is the climax of the story. So the center of John chapter 11 and the beginning of John chapter 12 is not the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. We would probably think, oh wow, Jesus raised a dead guy. That's the climax. That's the most important part. It's not. It's a supporting point in the main theme of the chapter overall. So what Jesus is about to say in his conversation with Martha is the main point. Because it's not about what Jesus can do. It's about who Jesus is. So in John 11, verse 25 and 26, this is what he tells us about who he is. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha had brought up this common Jewish belief that the righteous would be resurrected on the last day. And Jesus is referring to that. But he's also talking about more than just that. Because in this moment, Martha is completely heartbroken. And all she wants is to see her brother again. And she wants the joy that comes from his love and his presence. So she's looking forward to the resurrection as a means to find that fulfillment. And Jesus understands her. And in, in the face of her search for peace and healing and love, he says, you don't need to wait. I am that source of fulfillment. I can give you the joy and love and comfort you need right now. Do you believe that about me? And as Christians, we also have access to the resurrection. We have time to break this down through Scripture. But when we die as believers in Jesus, our spirits immediately go to be with Jesus in heaven. This is why he turned to the thief on the cross as he died and said, Today you will be with me in paradise. He does not say you will go to sleep and one day I'll wake you back up. He does not say today you will go to purgatory and pay for your sins and then you'll be with me later. He says today you'll be with me in paradise because when we die, our spirits go to be with Jesus. We maintain our individuality. We retain our awareness and consciousness. It's like our final breath on earth becomes our first breath in eternity. Well, our spirits, I guess we don't breathe. But you know what I mean. It's like a doorway into the presence of Jesus. This is why Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And after that, at the end of time, Jesus will return to the earth. He will renew and restore and recreate the earth. And when he does that, he will also resurrect and recreate our physical bodies. And we will then live in physical but glorified bodies for all of eternity. We see this implied most clearly through the resurrection of Jesus himself. You notice that after the resurrection, nobody recognizes him. It's because he looks different. And he's glorified somehow. I don't know exactly what that means, so I hope that when my body is resurrected, it's a little taller. I think the book of hesitation says, uh, I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. I have a girl who looks good. I can call her. That's, it's, it's, it's a song it's for the rest of you. Those of you who laughed with me, 
Thank you, 90s hip-hop heads. Anyway, our bodies will be glorified, and that's how we'll spend the rest of eternity. But the beauty of following Jesus, we don't have to wait until the pie in the sky, the sweet old by and by, to experience resurrected life. Resurrected life begins when we believe in Jesus now. Because the first thing that God does is resurrect us from spiritual deadness in our sin. And he raises us from slavery to sin. And this spiritual resurrected life begins as we experience increased freedom from sin and increased freedom from its effects. We become more and more free from our hurts and our habits and our hang-ups. We become more and more free of the pain from our past. And at the same time as we're experiencing increasing freedom, we're also experiencing increased fulfillment in God and his love. And that doesn't have to wait. That can start right now. And many of us are trophies of the grace of God living that resurrected life right now. And all we need to start that life is belief in Jesus. So as Jesus asked Martha, I now ask you, do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, the resurrection and the life? Because if you believe this, then you already have access to the resurrection life of Christ. And you simply need to walk in it. That belief is the first step. It is the foundation from which we build. Because we can build our belief in Christ. And I think that's what we see in Martha's conversation with Jesus. So now let's read the whole thing. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But... Even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. I love this conversation and I have for a long time because it's like we can see Martha's faith come to life in the course of this conversation in spite of her heartbreak. And we can see it grow and we can see her build her belief in Jesus. And I think if we can look at this conversation, we can also learn how to build our belief in Jesus in spite of what happens in this life. So when we build, we build piece by piece. And these items that we'll learn today will build P's by P's because they all start with the letter P. Number one, first P, perspective. Over the course of this conversation, Jesus changes Martha's perspective because she was entirely and solely fixated on her pain. And one step at a time, it's like Jesus moves the eyes of her heart from her pain to himself. And she ends this conversation with confessing him as the resurrection of a life. Sometimes we need to shift our perspective. And we need to see our lives and everything that happens in the light of the love of God for us. And we start to ask different questions and see things differently. And we start to ask things like, how do we, glor- how do we glorify God through this situation? How can I know Jesus more? What is he trying to do in me through the unfairness and difficulty happening around me? What is he teaching me? How can he use me to impact others? 
how can I be a blessing on the other side of this? God's word says he comforts us in our affliction so that we can go and comfort others. Who can I comfort? Who can I reach out to? How is this going to bring glory to God? When we take our eyes off of ourselves and view our lives through the lens of God's love, it changes our perspective. And we're no longer focused on that little dash in the middle of the dates of our lives that represents our life. And we start to focus more on eternity. Because of God, we get to live from an eternal perspective, not just an earthly one. So we start building our belief in Christ when we, we retain that perspective. Second P, place our belief, place our trust, place our lives in Jesus. All week long, I changed what I put there, and I put faith here, and I didn't update it. But really, the idea that I was trying to get at is that God wants us to take the things that are most precious to us and place it in his hands. In John 11, the word belief and believe is repeated nine different times. Repetition creates emphasis. Belief is important here. God's trying to teach us something. And the word belief in Greek can be translated to entrusted to or to have confidence in. Many of you know that last year I could have lost my life in a very dangerous car accident. I got T-boned at 55 miles per hour. And by the grace of God, I was still walking. So two or three days later, I went to the junkyard to get all my stuff from the car. And when I got to the car, it's a junkyard. I expected to see bad cars. My car was the worst car on the lot. And I didn't realize just how bad the damage was. So, like, half the engine is missing and, like, falling out the bottom. And every single windshield and window is cracked. Then I open up the car and every single airbag deployed. I didn't even know I had those airbags. And my coffee that I was drinking was splattered all over the car and on the dash. The wagon that I wanted to grab from the back seat, it was broken. But one thing in that car looked like it had been completely untouched. It was the car seat. Thank God no one was in it. I would have responded differently. Thank you, Jesus. Nobody was in that car seat. But I looked at it, and it looked completely fine. Now, you're not supposed to reuse a car seat after an accident. And the doors couldn't open anymore, so I wouldn't have been able to take it out anyway. But I realized at that moment that I can entrust my daughters to a car seat like that. And any physical protection that's possible, it'll probably provide. I don't want to entrust my daughter to my lap in the car. I want to entrust her to the car seat. And in our lives, we need to realize that no one has a track record quite like God's. And we shouldn't entrust our lives and the things that are precious to us to ourselves because our ability to do something about it is so limited. But we can entrust them to God. And that's difficult for some of us because we've been disappointed before. Maybe God is working in a way that we don't understand yet. Maybe we won't understand until we're with him. Maybe we won't understand even when we're with him. Or maybe somewhere in the process there was some kind of user error. We don't know the answer. Just like I still don't know why I was gone when Asher was born. It could have been any of those things. However, I trust God. I trust him with my family. And the next time we have to make a big decision, I'm going to lift it up to him again. Because we can place our lives, place our trust, place our belief in Jesus.
This is the second P. Third P. Peace. P. Third P. Press on in faith. I'm just going to press on through that in faith. We can continue. As Martha conversed with Jesus, she pressed on through her pain, pressed on through her heartbreak. Because when we're disappointed, all we want to do is disengage, not talk to him more. But the attitude of pressing on in faith says, I will not stop pursuing Jesus. I want to know him more. I want to know his love more. I want to give him love more. I want to understand more, and if I can't understand, then I want to trust him more anyway. That's the attitude of pressing on in faith. And sometimes that's all we have left, but that's also all we need to do. That was my only option when I sat there in the terminal waiting to take off in Hawaii. And I get off the phone, and I'm disappointed, but I decided to press on in faith. So what I did was stand up and make sure I wouldn't miss my flight. And I walked to a quiet part of the terminal where there was no one around. And I just sat down and I started to pray and complain and whine and be angry and disappointed at myself and at God. And I was honest. I was like, God, I'm here for you. I'm here for your glory. People got saved tonight. Is that not enough? Nevertheless, I trust you. I don't know why. John 13, 7 says, now you will don't understand, but eventually you will. I'll understand one day. I trust you, Lord. So protect my wife. Protect my daughter. I believe that I'll see them safe when we land. Amen. And I sat there as God started to replace my heartbreak with hope and my pain with peace, and my fear with faith. And then we went onto the plane, and I boarded and sat in my business class seat, filled with joy in God in spite of the situation. And then the pilot came over the intercom and said, hey, guys, there's another delay. There is supposed to be a connecting flight from Maui, and they're 30 to 45 minutes late, and they need to ride this plane to Vegas too. And all the peace was gone. And I got angry at God again. I'm like, I know I'm going to miss it, man, but come on. I, can I just be on time? Do I have to be another hour late? And then I sat in that for another five minutes and pressed forward in faith again. And God's peace came again. And then the people came on the plane. And everybody boarded. And they sat down, and we started to taxi, and they came on the intercom and said, now you can put your, plane on airplane, your phone on airplane mode. So I take out my phone out of my pocket, because at this point, I have to conserve my battery. And as I take my phone out of my pocket, I see one text message from Jerrica that said one minute ago. And I see another one come through, at my, come through my phone at that moment that says, now. And I open those text messages, and they were the first two pictures of Astrid ever taken. We might have a picture. It's not the picture I got because she was naked. I, I gave you the picture I took. But it's like the flight was delayed the perfect amount of time for me to find out that my wife and daughter were okay. I like to believe that God did that for me. And I still don't know why I missed it. Maybe it was me. Maybe I heard God wrong. 
maybe he needed to remove me from the situation because it was stressful, as I found out later. I don't do well in those situations. I don't know, but I trust him. And it was worth pressing forward in faith because my heart was in a great place when he let me know that they're going to be okay and you'll see them soon. And we're all very happy today. And Jericho wasn't even mad at me. <laughs> that was the grace of God. <laughs> so we should build our belief in Jesus. Because if we believe in him, then we will live in him. We will live with him. In eternity, but now on earth too. And here's how the story concludes in John chapter 11, verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And that is how Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And that is a picture of the resurrection life that we have in Jesus. Because Jesus raises us up out of our deadness in our sin. And we start to waddle because we're bound and Jesus speaks to a group of people and says, unbind him. He speaks to a community because life in God always involves community. There is no such thing as just me and Jesus. No such thing. You are loved in this church. But if you think that you can follow God alone, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. It can start that way. But it's not meant to be that way forever every single person that Jesus called to follow him was called to follow him in community. So as you continue to follow Jesus, grow in your exposure to the community of God. It doesn't have to be all at once, but it does have to be intentional, and it does have to progress forward. So we see a picture of community in this resurrected life. And then Jesus says to them, unbind him and let him go. And when we are raised from our sin, we are still bound oftentimes by that sin and by that past. And Jesus wants to unwrap us from the things that bind us. That's why we're holding Freedom Weekend at the beginning of the month in March for men and at the end of the month in March for women. It's very important because God doesn't want you to live the rest of your life on earth bound in your past and bound in your sin. Please don't stay there. And they unbound Lazarus and he's freed from these grave clothes. And everyone there got to experience Jesus as the resurrection and the life. And the way the story ends is my favorite part because really the story didn't end. They stood there together with Jesus that day, those who believed, and they're standing with Jesus now. 
And if we believe in him, then we will stand with them too. And if we build on our belief in Jesus, then we will experience an increasing quality, the resurrection life of the Lord. More free from sin and its effects. More fulfilled by God and his love. And the beauty of serving a God who is infinite in his love is that growth never stops. For all of eternity, which is endless, we will experience and know the love of God, which is also endless. And if it's possible, even more endless. If we believe. So remember that regardless of what happens, our belief does not depend on the results of life. It depends on the resurrection and the life. And to build our belief in Jesus is the outcome that God wants. As we conclude this series in miracles, whether he performs a miracle for us or not, whether he answers our prayers or not, whether you are there for the birth of your second daughter or not, he wants our belief to grow. Because Christ is our firm foundation. And if we build our belief in him, then we will live with him and experience the life he has for us. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, I thank you that your love is far greater than we could ever imagine. And I thank you for the faith that you've put in us so that we can believe in you. So I pray, God, that wherever everyone is right now, first of all, thank you that you love us right there. You're pleased with us in Christ. You're so overjoyed when you look at us. And you give us an opportunity in God to build in faith. So Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would show each of us how to build on our belief in Jesus with perspective by placing our faith in you and pressing forward in whatever unique way that is for us. I thank you for that, Lord. Let belief be the outcome in Jesus' name. Amen. And as heads stay bowed and eyes stay closed, I want to give one more opportunity this morning. If you're here and you want to start that relationship with Jesus by confessing in him that you believe in him, that you want to follow him, that you want to be born again, that you want to be a Christian, and you want to be assured of eternal life with him. If that's you this morning and you want to make that decision, would you raise your hand on the count of three? I'll pray with you. So will the church, one, two, three, anybody here, you want to make that decision today? Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Anybody, anybody. Thank you, God. Thank you. I see your hands. Thank you, Lord. So here's what I want you to do. Repeat with me as we say a prayer out loud. The Bible says this, you believe, if you believe in your heart that Christ is Lord and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, then you are saved. That's all we're doing. So repeat after me as the church repeats along with us. Say, Father in heaven, I believe that you sent Jesus, that he lived a perfect life, that he died in my place, and that he rose again three days later. Lord, I want to follow you. I believe in you. Help me 
In your name, Jesus. Amen.